Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. You know, when I was the, uh, the age of our junior, senior highs who are leaving for their own teaching time right now, when I was their age, that was when I first heard about the Big Bang Theory, that the universe began with the Big Bang. I remember thinking, what a trite kindergarten name for something so humongous and amazing as the creation of the entire universe, you know, Big Bang. And uh, it, it, it seemed like such a trite name for something so big, but it also got me thinking about, uh, do you ever wonder this? Who made the matter that went bang? and produce something so big as the universe. And then, I always wondered this, I used to think this, I even asked one time, who lit the fuse that made the bang so big? <laughs> I, I used to honestly wonder about these. It turns out, according to the latest pictures we're getting back from space, I wasn't too far off with my questions because for the last eight months, physicists, astronomers, astrophysicists, try and say that fast, they've begun to study pictures beaming back from the latest and greatest telescope, the James Webb Telescope. And what scientists are discovering, get this, it's making them necessary, I got some quotes here, to rethink science's basic understanding of the origin and development of the universe. Because what they have discovered is the existence of six fully formed galaxies that existed far earlier than the time of the Big Bang. So science journals are writing things like this, where it's completely upending our understanding of the universe. It's back to the drawing board. Why? There wasn't time after the Big Bang for these six newly discovered galaxies to form. Uh, a New York Times article illustrates it this way. The finding is akin to parents and their children appearing in a story where the grandparents are still children themselves. Well, that happens with me, but anyway. Where did the six galaxies of matter come from? See, the questions are still valid. How much more of the universe is out there that we still just haven't discovered with the telescope yet? How much of it existed before the Big Bang? Who made it so that it went into such beauty and design? Uh, who made it so that it went into these beautiful galaxies anyway? Now, the first century followers of Jesus sang a song in their gatherings that answers these questions. Listen to the lyrics recorded in the first chapter of a letter the Apostle Paul and Pastor Timothy wrote to followers of Jesus in Colossus, present-day Turkey. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. 
He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, through Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Uh, Week three of this series will be there. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Now, we don't sing those exact same lyrics that our brothers and sisters sang in the first century in Colossus, but we do sing the same truths, right? Uh, Last Sunday, do you remember we sang, you reign, you reign above it all. You're bigger than I thought you were. This morning we sang, when I consider the worlds you have made, how great thou art. Sometimes we sing, God of wonders beyond our galaxy. It's like we're singing the ancient lyrics from the first chapter of Colossians about galaxies and matter and human life, all traceable back to Jesus. Everything was created by him, through him, and for him. That means that, listen to this, no telescope we make as humans will ever send pictures back to earth of a place in the universe where Jesus is not the creator and ruler and Lord of that place. It's Lord over all. It also means that Jesus doesn't have much competition. He's not one among a number of creator gods. Did you hear in that song that they sang in Colossus, recorded in our New Testament Colossians, all other powers are under his power, even kingdoms and rulers and authorities that we, we cannot see. And we're going to see that when we pray, we go into that invisible realm. We're going to see that in this series. But, but we sing songs like this. You have no rival. You have no equal. We sing songs like this. You stand above the rulers of this world, glorious. The world has many good religious leaders, but the world has only one savior. Jesus is unique. He's he's an anomaly. Can human life exist on other planets? They said they found some bacteria that can only exist if there's life there. I, I, I don't know, but if there's life on a planet in one of those many galaxies, those life forms may not know that Jesus left heaven to come to earth to be humanity's savior so that we could be forever with him in heaven. But we on earth can know this about any life, if it does exist on any other planet, we can know that Jesus is the creator and the Lord of any life that's out there. He, He made it all. And it makes the gospel that Pastor Jonathan talked about last Sunday even more amazing because this God that made it all, this supreme one with all these galaxies, he he comes to this tiny little planet Earth because he loves you, to give his life for you. That's why we'll celebrate communion in a few moments. The last lyrics of the song in Colossians go like this, and through him, through him, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. 
say, say this, but change the word you to me. Ready? Let's say it aloud together. This includes me. I was once far away from God. So, so, so here's the big question. For the first message in this new series called Anomaly, here's, here's the big question. For you online, for you in this room in Toronto, here's the big question. What would happen to you if you gave Jesus the same place he has in the universe in every area of your personal life? Colossians was written in Greek, and when you translate those Greek words into English, they come out this way, supreme, first, preeminent, sovereign. We, we can give him that place in our lives, or how many would like for the rest of your life to be a frustrated, insecure, anxiety-filled follower of Jesus? Put up your hand. Press that button online. No, I mean, because I can tell you straight up, there's a for sure way to make sure that you're a frustrated, anxiety-filled, insecure follower of Jesus, and that is to give him second place in your life. It works. Just give him second place in your life, you'll see. Because you'll always have this power struggle with Jesus. You'll be frustrated, you'll be anxious, you'll be insecure, because Jesus doesn't fit in second place. Jesus only fits in first place. Here's why a lot of people who follow Jesus, they, they divide their life up into compartments with Jesus as Lord of this compartment, the spiritual compartment. That's the way they live their life. Now, I can have my life divided up into different compartments. It's called dualism. There's nothing new about it. You divide life up into the spiritual and the secular. Here's the spiritual. That's where Jesus is. Everything else in life is secular. The sacred part of life is where God belongs. Secular, off limits, God. In Jesus' time, it was a group called the Gnostics. To be spiritual meant that you, uh, you valued you know, just the spiritual. You lived separate from the world. The only really valuable stuff in life was the spiritual. And remember in medieval times, the monks in the monastery with that same kind of worldview? Recently, a university student wrote an article, and I, I read it with interest. Let me, let me read what she said. She said, faith in Jesus was something I did on Sunday. It had nothing to do with the rest of my week. So I had a deeply embedded idea of how religion ought to be privately engaging, but publicly irrelevant. My worldview lenses saw education as something totally separate from my faith. Now, on the other end of uh, dualism, you, you can have things like, well, pantheism, God and everything, but also atheism, right? Atheism that says there is no God, so live your whole life without reference to him. Just get on with the, the physical and the mental areas of your life. And then hedonism that basically says life's all about the pursuit of pleasure, so you stay completely clear of ever sacrificing anything that you want for yourself for the sake of God or for other people. In the middle of them, is, is sort of in the middle, it sort of draws on a bit of everything, is syncretism. I just pick and choose what I want to believe. This is, this is fairly popular today. 
I, that way I can choose. I've even heard people say, I just choose the best of all world religions. You know, Jesus said good things. Buddha said good things. Muhammad, Dalai Lama, just put them all in my spiritual compartment. You know, they're just great. We fit Jesus in a la carte. We just pick and choose what we, we want from him. He's not Lord of all of our lives, but, but I, I, can, I can take some of the things he has to say. I read a writer of youth culture this past week, and they singled out Gen Xers. They said, Gen Xers take their faith on and off as the situation is called for. Teenagers show up on Sunday or Wednesday, I guess that's when the youth night was for this guy, and act one way, but live outside of the church in a way that does not line up with their faith. You know, I heard that, I thought, that's not the exclusive domain of Gen Xers. I grew up with boomers that will bust that myth. You know, people that would be one thing at church, and then you'd meet them, and they were quite another character outside of church. You know, so how many have found this? That for some, for some followers of Jesus, you know, going to church is like singing the national anthem at a hockey game. It has absolutely nothing to do with what happens after the anthem is over, you know. But the same ones who are so sincerely singing about Jesus in a gathering can mess around with gossip and sexual immorality and greed. I remember a businessman in church leadership that was caught cheating in business, and when he was confronted, do you know what he said? Business is business. It has nothing to do with my spirituality. Sort of a what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas kind of mentality. I can divide my life up into compartments. I can have the the spiritual compartment. You know, in here I have church, Jesus. Oh yeah, and I have the Bible in here. <laughs> you know, that, that that's that's where it belongs. That's that's close. And then I have the social, and that's where you know I have a relationship with family, responsibilities in family, friends. Um, uh, th- then, then that's the social area of my life. And then there's the mental area. That's where I put my education, what I'm learning at work. Um, I, I, can, I can learn about kinds of things in life. I, uh, I, I can just put them all into that mental compartment. And then the physical. The physical is about, you know, my diet, my exercise, how I do sexuality. It's, it's uh, you know, my... My meds are in that drawer, right? That's my medicine cabinet too. You know, it's just all there. And then, and then I have my uh, finances. That's where I keep, you know, my money and my stuff. Keep it there in a separate compartment. And then there's my leisure. My leisure is, you know, my 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 hobbies, my sports, my entertainment. What I do on my computer, it just is this, all, all that kind of stuff can fit into leisure. And I can look at that and say, there, I've got Jesus in his place. He's there. And so I have a nice balanced Christian life. Look at that. But hold on. What happens when you, when you open up the spirituality and you read in the Bible and it says something like this, seek first his kingdom and righteousness, and what? All these other things will be given to you as well. What? I, I thought you stayed there. The Bible and 
Jesus and church should just stay there. Then uh, the Bible has things to say about the social department of my life. Forgive one another. As God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Love one another. Encourage one another in this holy faith. You see, Jesus can be Lord of my social compartment. He gets to say how I run my social life. And then I go to the mental part, right? I go to my mind. And uh, Philippians says, don't worry. Well, Jesus said that too in Matthew 6, didn't he? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything, including finances and pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent, worthy of praise. You know what else it says? We're in this very book of Colossians that we're looking to in this series. It says here in chapter 3, put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you, within your mind. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. And so he's Lord, he's to be Lord of the mental department of my life. What about the physical? The physical. Remember, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Somebody said the problem with the living sacrifice that keeps crawling off the altar. Anyway, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. This is your true worship. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Flee from sexual immorality. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your... So, so he's Lord of the physical area of my life. Now, what about the finances? No, Jesus says this. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. How many of money makes a great tool? They're a lousy Lord. That's where fear and greed come in, right? On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. I think Pastor John the talked about the different ways that we can do that. So, so he gets to tell us how we run the financial department of our lives. What about the leisure? You know, Colossians says that whatever you do, do it all to the... Yeah, do it all, giving thanks to God the Father through him, whether I eat or drink or... Whatever I do, do it all to the glory of God. And so, I mean, when you think of it, though, it is, it is silly and embarrassing for me to try to keep Jesus and what he says about certain areas of my life to try and keep that a closed compartment from him. It makes no sense. Jesus doesn't fit into a second place compartment anywhere in my life. Jesus, following Jesus is a you shall have no other gods before me journey, spiritually. 
It's not about fitting him into selected compartments of my life. It's about me fitting every area of my life around him. Jesus had people following him because they got what they wanted. It was physical. They actually, remember Jesus would multiply the loaves and fishes and they wanted to make him king. You know, they were saying, free fish and chips. Seafood buffet, when you follow Jesus, I'm following you anywhere, Jesus. And Jesus right there tells them, he turns around and tells them, he says, you want to follow me? Let me tell you, it means taking up your cross. You need to die to selfishness if you want to follow me. You need to live a life. If you're going to follow me, it's a life of sacrifice for the good of God and other people. And Jesus tells them straight, um, C.S. Lewis says a lot of it this way in one of his writings. My favorite writer, he says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be a lunatic. On the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with some patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. You know, when we talk about compartmentalization, we're not talking about psychological compartmentalization. There's nothing wrong with dividing up your life into parts. Sometimes emotions need to be dealt with at a later time, when we got perspective, when we get help to navigate them. The real problem is not with compartments and the number of compartments, I've only got a few of the compartments here that we're going to talk about today. But, but the problem is that thinking that Jesus' rulership does not extend to any other compartments other than the spiritual one. During my teen years, I really started to get real with surrendering areas of my life to Jesus. But it sort of went like this. I'd hear Pastor, someone like Pastor Jonathan give a great teaching like he's been doing in this August series about our thinking. And I think, oh man, okay, Jesus, I'll open that drawer to you. You know, and then I hear another great message. Okay, tell you what, Jesus, I'll give you an even bigger drawer in my life. And then I hear another message. Okay, Jesus, I'll move you up to the top drawer of my life. You know, uh, how many... How many of things in other drawers in your life, though, that we haven't even talked about? You know, I was thinking about that because they, they found something with a lot more than six drawers. So what about, well, there's my computer. Do you think Jesus is Lord of my computer life? What else have we got here? Oh, dear. I know who this would be from. Esther, they're three quarters gone. What's going on here? Listen, when she was pregnant, you'd never believe she sent me out in the middle of the night to get those things. Anyway, (laughs) 
You're not pregnant now. What's your excuse? <laughs> anyway, what is this? Brown sugar oatmeal Americano. Pastor Jonathan. What else are you hiding in the compartments of your life? Look at this. Confidential, top secret. What could be in here? Oh, that's all right. That's all right. That's all right. No, that's a good thing. <laughs> see, see, we, we all have secret compartments of our life. We think, well, Jesus, I'll give you everything. You're Lord of all. I remember, I remember singing the song, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. And if I was more honest, I should have been singing, some to Jesus I surrender, most to him I partially give. <laughs> Uh, and yet, as I learn to surrender, and, and this is something we grow into more and more over time, uh, when, when I surrender every day, do you know what? There's less frustration in my life because it's not as fragmented because I can trust Jesus with every area of my life. There's less anxiety because I'm casting my cares upon him and he cares for me. I know his care in my life. There's less depression because I have a purpose in my life. I know why I'm here on the planet. There's less insecurity because I am loved forever. Whether I do this or don't do that, Jesus loves me forever. There's less futility because I have a destiny. I know that this life is not the main event. I'm going to go to a place where I'll live with Jesus forever and experience trust and purpose and meaning more deeply than I ever have on planet Earth. I want that kind of life. How many want that kind of life? Can you say a good amen? Now, if you want that kind of life, let me just share, you, share with you, before we go into a prayer and communion, three experiences that have really helped me grow in this area. How do I give Jesus the same place in my life that he has in the universe? Okay? First, experience the joy and peace of practicing an open drawer policy with Jesus. No off limits compartments. <laughs> no, oh, Henry Barr's hidden, you know what I'm saying? It's just all before, and he knows it anyway. It's just so silly what we do. It makes no sense to trust someone else, even yourself, to know more or care more than Jesus Christ. He's the creator. He designed us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. The one time Jesus was, he had just taught. He had just taught on being non-judgmental. He taught about finances, about forgiving people. He, he, he talked about all of it. And then he stops, Luke 6, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? I mean, if someone's your, your if they're the, the Lord, they're in charge, Right? I have this guy I work with in the construction. He always calls me boss. Hey, boss. It's just because I pay the bills, I guess. But anyway. <laughs> How many of you know there's a lot of floods in the world these recent months? Some right now. And I have family I've been in touch with in the last hours in Nova Scotia. Before that, I was in British Columbia. And it's happening all over the world. What happened in Libya just... You know, it just reminded me, because Jesus told a story about that, where he, when he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? He was talking about people who didn't do what he said in areas of their life. And he said, it's like you're building on sand. 
And it may look the same as someone who builds on a rock, but when the floods come, (laughs) when a storm hits your life, this is all going to get washed away. But when, he said, when you build your life upon what I say about these things, that you're building your life upon a rock. And when the floods come, you shall remain standing. You, all other ground is sinking sand. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand, I build my life. Now, now, now it's, 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 what about, Keith Smith and Esther Smith, when it comes to money and sex and relationships, you know, money, I I think we've had two big setbacks in our life. I was almost going to say so far, no, Lord, we've had enough of that already. Two financial setbacks, but you know what? I remember that, Esther. Jesus, we've given generously. We have given a tenth of our income all of our lives There was such a confidence when we faced the setback to know that, Lord, we've trusted you with all of our finances. So now when we go through a tough time, we know your eyes are upon us and you're going to bring something good out of this. And you know what? He did. He did. What about sex? Uh, I'm so thankful for the intimacy that Esther and I have in our love life. And, and it's so attributable to the fact that we follow God's plan for sex before marriage. And it was tough. But that trust and closeness and enjoyment that we have in marriage, how many know exclusivity does produce intimacy? Just a sense of trust. And you can do that from this point on in your life. Relationships. I don't know how many people, Pastor Jonathan and I have had say to me, I've never told anyone this in my life before. I almost feel like a priest in a confession box sometimes. <laughs> so I've never told anyone. And, then, and they trust me. And do you know where that trust comes from? Jesus in me. Without him, I wouldn't be that trustworthy person. I wouldn't be. But there's a confidence that comes when you handle these areas of your life with Jesus as Lord of them. Because then when the storm comes, you trust your Lord. You see it? And he brings you through. So don't be one of those Christians that spends your entire Christian life negotiating compartments of your life with Jesus. Don't stop at giving Jesus a bigger drawer or even top drawer. For your soul's sake, give him the whole house that the compartments are in. You know, what do we sing? I'd stop all negotiation with the God of all creation. You can have it all, Lord, every part of my world. All right. Secondly, bring Lord Jesus into your moment-by-moment daily thoughts and decisions. You know, what does the verses in the Bible mean anyway when they say things like this? Pray about everything. Pray without ceasing. Walk in the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. Do you know what it means? It means, it means that you bring the Lord Jesus into every moment of your life. Because he's there. We may not even be conscious or feel like it, but he, is, he will never leave us, never forsake us. He's always there. And he always wants by his Spirit to come alongside to help us. That means that you don't go in your prayer times with your agenda and say, Jesus, here's what I want. Here's my grocery list for this week. No, you, you, you go to Jesus and say, Jesus, what's your agenda? If it's a cold day in Canada, you say, 
uh, let me be the glove that you wear today, Jesus. <laughs> you go and you say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right on? Not my will, your will be done. Speaking of prayer, James gets pretty blunt as to one of the reasons why God doesn't always give us what we ask for. Listen to this. He says, you do not have because you do not ask God. Well, I asked him, but he didn't get it. Well, when you ask, you did not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. I sacrifice. I sacrifice in these areas to have Jesus as Lord because I trust him to have a better plan than myself or anybody else for any of these areas of my life. That means I bring Jesus into every area, workplace, school, neighborhood, condo, family, friendships, my computer, behind locked doors, my struggles, my successes, my words, my actions, my thoughts. You know, it's sort of like, I I just pulled this off my desk before I came out here. This is from an Irishman, St. Patrick. (laughs) And he had this on the the breastplate. I'm not going to go around wearing one of those, but he, he had this. He said, Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in hearts, and you got the idea. Get to a place where when something arises, your first, your first instinct is to say, Jesus, you're here. Well, what do you have to say about this? I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. And then third, expand your connection with others, followers of Jesus outside of big gatherings. You see, if you're just keeping Jesus in, you know, your Bible devotional times and your 911 prayer times <laughs> and, your, and, and church, you're missing it. Man, when you get to serve with community connections and you sense that Jesus is with you and you're doing the will of Jesus, when you get in a community group and you find others that are going through the very same thing you went through and it puts it in perspective and they pray for you or you're able to help them and you leave with joy because Jesus, I was able to help someone today. When you take that follow assessment, it's going to just help direct you to certain areas where you can just take another step to take Jesus out of the compartment that he's in now and bring him into something even greater and wider in the sphere of your life. So here we are on a speck of a planet with one star. We call it the sun, surrounded by, get this, 200 billion trillion other stars. (laughs) What is man that you are mindful of him? We're in a medium-sized galaxy among 100 million other galaxies. Where does Jesus fit in that, in that universe? Only one place, only one place. The Colossian Christians sang it right. Lord, you're supreme over all creation. You're preeminent. Jesus is Lord over every planet, star, and galaxy. Jesus is Lord in the entire universe. Right on? Jesus is Lord. And here you and I are. Here you are with us online, one of seven billion humans on the planet. Where does Jesus fit? Supreme, sovereign, first place. How many can say with me, he is my Lord? Say it with me, he is my Lord. He is my Lord.
Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time. Thank you.